Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Yes, he is here, the Organic Garden. We've got a couple of amazing guests coming up within the hour, but we always like to begin by giving you the opportunity to win a gift certificate. The first one always from the Sorgals out there in Wexford. Uh, if you're the 10th caller at 412-922-1020, you are the winner. 10th caller gets it. We also want to invite you to get in with some questions concerning gardening. Uh, uh, right now, we're going to take some calls in the first segment, so the number is 866-391-1020. Here he is, the star of the show, Doug Oster, DougOster.com, for a Sunday, already the 11th day in the month of February 2024. Good morning, Doug. You're going to be able to stay up for the Super Bowl? <laughs> oh, definitely. I'll be there for the entire game. <laughs> He's rolling his eyes. You'll be watching. A little bit. Little bit. I get. I actually have an appointment today at five thirty. Go figure. So, but I'll. I'll, I'll Who's meeting at five thirty? Only Rob Pratt has. Yeah. They set up a business meeting at five thirty. But I will definitely be watching the game. Okay. Yeah. This is the one time once a year with a, a friend of mine. We have uh, potato chips with French onion dip, and that's like that goes back to my childhood. We had this place in Ohio called Lawson's, and they had just the best French uh, onion dip. So I got two great guests today, Greg Peterson from the Urban Farm uh, first, and then uh, Chris Kosen, who's speaking tomorrow night uh, through Zoom, uh, and he's going to do a native plant garden design class, and uh, it's absolutely free for uh, the organization is called Wild Ones of uh, Western Pennsylvania, and it's all about native plants. So we're going to talk to him about natives, and a big thank you. To everybody who's been sending me the 3945 seeds after my dog disaster where the puppy tore them all to pieces. I, uh, over the years, had saved about 5,000 seeds. I'm down to 500, so I need more to keep this going. My old friend Bob DeMay from our days at the Youngstown Vindicator, he says that that tomato was the most productive of the season for him. And then uh, my friend Jill Neely, who used to produce the Pittsburgh Today Live show that I was on all the time, she found some that she had saved with her husband, Jack. And I was cleaning out my office, which is, this is ironic, and I stumbled onto the first letter that the late Dan Cummings sent me about the 3945 tomato, and it's dated 2014, and I have it right here. <clears throat> it says, and this was one that he hand-delivered to me, because like the on the envelope, there's no, uh, there's, there's no uh, address or anything. It just has my name. So it says, Doug, here are some tomato seeds, and it's written in, like, you know, printing. Uh, a friend of mine was going across a battlefield during World War II and stopped and ate some and brought some seeds home with him. 
He grew them for years, gave some seeds along, gave me some seeds a long time ago. Tall plants, big tomatoes, two, three, four pounds. He called them 39.45. World War II, because World War II started from, or was, it says start 1939 and then ended 1945. Enjoy, Dan Cummings. And so uh, that's the project where I, you know, I'm sending out uh, seeds to people and then they grow them out and send me back to keep it going. And that's what I'm continuing to do. And with these 500 seeds, if you are an experienced grower, this is what I'd like you to do. And you just go to DougOster.com. You can see all the information there, either to send me some seeds if you grew them already or to get some to uh, grow it. Oh, is there a caller, Rob? All right, let's go. Let's talk. All right, here's Susan. Hey, Susan. Good morning. You're on KDKA. Good morning, Susan. Good morning. How are you just today? I'm doing good. Thanks for calling in so early. I needed somebody Uh, to talk to, Susan. Great. Um, I have a question. I um, live in the South Hills, and we have a deer problem here. And I have several hostas, and they just love to feast on hostas. I want to get rid of them. And uh, I want to know if there's any way I can get rid of them without digging them out. I mean, I could, but I'm elderly, and I would like to know if there's an other way or an easier way. Well, they're tough to get rid of, uh, you know. Yes. Even though the deer eat them to the ground every time. Um, you know, you could use a string trimmer and just keep cutting them down from the, from the top. And then eventually they would just, they couldn't come back again. That's what we do a lot of time with, uh, invasives. Uh, we'll just keep cutting them down. Is that a possibility or is that going to be too tough? No, I could do that. That, I could do that. That's that's what I would do. Um, either that, are, is the reason you're you're getting rid of them is you just can't stand that the deer keep eating them? It, yes. Well, it attracts them to the yard. That's why I'm trying to eliminate anything that attracts the deer. And hostess, of course, is one of the major things. The other thing that would be easier would be just spraying them with the deer repellent, and they won't eat it. You know, I use one called Bobex, but there's a lot of different ones out there that all work pretty well. And that would be another option, just to spray them about, you know, once a week, once every three weeks, depending on when it rains, and they they won't eat them. And then you'll have some nice hostas, and that'd be easy, that'd be easier than running that uh, string trimmer every week. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> um, did you say it was called Bobex? That's the one that I use. But trust me, any deer repellent that you use uh, is going to be fine. You know, they're, they're all formulated to to stop those deer from eating. If you spray it on there, they will not eat it. Oh, that's good to know. (laughs) I think that's an easier solution. And then you'll have your pretty hostas, too. Yes, they are lovely, and I do like them, but uh, they they do attract a deer. Well, good luck with the... Good luck with those deer, because I'm 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 having a terrible year with the deer. They are just killing me. Uh, The young ones are the worst ones. That's the thing. And I've got three young ones that are running, and they're eating everything, and I'm just not spraying enough. So you just have your hostas to take care of. Spray those hostas, and you'll be good to go, okay? Thank you so much for your help. I do Uh, appreciate it. Thank you. All right, here's Jeff out in Seven Fields for Doug on the Organic Gardener on KDK. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Jeff. Yeah, good good morning, gentlemen. How are you? Doing good. What's up? I got a question about houseplants. I have a Christmas cactus and a palm that seem to have little fleas that then will congregate near the window of that. Last week, when temperatures were getting down to like 22 at night, but it was getting to 50 and 60 during the day, I constructed a temporary lean-to, 
left the mouth for five days straight, and that may take care of it. Put them back in within two hours. Those fleas were back. So when we're saying we're saying fleas, are we saying a flying? Is it something that's flying? Yes. So I think that's fungus gnats. And okay, uh, tell me about the watering because oftentimes when that soil stays wet, that's when we get fungus gnats. So yeah, I once a week I have a regimen where I was doing it once a week for years it was never a problem. Um, I feel put my finger in the soil, determine how much is needed, water to the top. It never collects in the bottom. Okay, okay. Uh, for now, what I would do, the first thing is to let them dry out. That will stop the cycle of the larva. And there's a couple other things you can do if you're interested. You can get these things called yellow sticky traps, and you can get them online okay. or you can get them at a, a nursery, and you just put those out, and the adults will just fly onto that, and they can't get off it. Uh, Got it. Then there's also, if this really persists, most of the time, if you just dry out the soil, that'll be the end of it. But we have to get rid of those adults. If this persists uh, with that watering, and it sounds like you're watering perfectly, it's just that you they've found an environment that they enjoy. Uh, if this persists, there are these little things, and they're called mosquito bits, B-I-T-S. And okay. they're an organic control, and you just kind of sprinkle them onto the top of the soil and the it only affects the, that larva, and so the larva wow. can't persist. But I think I think you'll be okay with just the drying out. And if you got a couple of yellow yellow sticky traps, that would take care of the adults. And then I think you'll be it. good to go. Start back with your watering regime because it sounds like you're doing the perfect things. How often does what, the Christmas cactus bloom? You know, it's been amazing. I I got it in November, and then I got it again, and it finished, and then they start coming again. And, um, say mid to late January, I got some more. It yeah, was, it was really nice. Two different seasons. Yeah, mine start. Mine are budding again. I can't believe it. It's it's great. Great yeah. to have some something on the windowsill that's doing its thing. Yeah. All right. Uh, one, if, one question. Go ahead, real quick. We're just about out of time. Go yeah. ahead. What does dry out mean? Just dry out means at least two weeks. Just, just two weeks. Let that soil completely dry out, and you'll be you'll be good to go. Thank you so much. All right, thank you. If the problem persists, feel free to call back. Tell him who's coming up. Got Greg Peterson next from the Urban Farm. He teaches people all about gardening. He's got a really cool podcast. We are looking forward to talking to him. We're good friends. He'll be right back. Back with the man, the myth, the legend. He is the guy with the green thumb. He is the organic gardener, Doug Oster, DougOster.com. And our first of two guests for this Sunday morning starts right now. Joining me today is Greg Peterson from the Urban Farm. We are part of a podcast circle, it's called. And for the last how long, Greg, year or so, we've been talking with all sorts of other garden communicators about podcasts, right? Yeah, it's been about a year, absolutely, and I'm loving it. Tell me a little bit about uh, how you fell in love with plants before we get into all the details. Oh, my gosh. So um, along about the time I was 15 years old, that was the mid-70s, I uh, had this realization that we were overfishing the oceans. And I was really interested in aquaponics and aquaculture. And, and um, it, just, uh, it just came to me. And I started growing food when I was 15 years old. And I haven't ever looked back. And talk about the pilgrimage from Arizona to North Carolina. What do you do in Arizona? And what do you do now in North Carolina? Tell me about the urban farm. Oh, my gosh. So the Urban Farm, uh, it's urbanfarm.org, and it's a resource for people to learn how to grow food wherever you're at. 
And uh, for the, about the past 15, 20 years, I've been wanting to go someplace quiet because I lived in Phoenix for 54 years. And it's in the middle of 4.7 million people. And I just wanted a quiet place to grow old at. And <laughs> so we moved here to Asheville and we're out in the middle of uh, four acres and growing elderberries and experimenting with fruit trees and just loving it. And you love to teach about teach people how to grow. Talk a little bit about that and why you do it. Well, so I think that the most important thing we can be doing right now is figuring out where our food comes from and figuring out how to grow, how to grow our own. So uh, that's what my podcast is about. The Urban Farm Podcast has interviewed over 800 people about their backyard and front yard gardens and farms. And uh, the Urban Farm has multiple online courses where people can, you know, learn about aquaponics, about backyard uh, aquaculture, about um, growing your own food, and what really what it means to have an urban farm. And there are some free classes too, right? Um, oh my gosh! Well, we we have all kinds of stuff. Um, we uh, have our healthy soil hack series, which is, uh, you know, the most important thing we can do in our garden is grow healthy soil. Because if you have healthy soil, you're going to have healthy plants and they taste better. So that's one of our freebies. Um, Urbanfarmwater.com is another one talking about uh, how to get your gardens watered. And we talk a lot about uh, rainwater and gray water harvesting. Really, it's, it's all permaculture based. I like to call permaculture the art and science of working with nature. How do we flow in the flow of nature rather than against it, and then designing our systems that way. How long have you been in North Carolina now? Was it hard to get started on a brand-new garden? Whoa, let me tell you. So I've been here coming up on two years, and, uh, you know, when I lived in Phoenix, I gardened there for over 50 years. I thought we had a pest issue there you know, pests like bugs and funguses and that kind of stuff. And then I moved here and realized that pest pressure, that's what we call it in the industry, is non-existent in Phoenix. So it's been a it's been an interesting challenge to navigate our way through uh, the pest issues, the bugs, the funguses and all that kind of stuff. But we're making our way around it. And one interesting thing that happened is last summer I planted somewhere around 160 fruit trees and berry bushes. And each planting hole, I added a handful of worm castings that I had been making since we arrived. And those worm castings happened to have tomato seeds in it. And the tomatoes that we planted in our garden and watered and nurtured, they struggled and didn't make a whole lot of tomatoes. The ones that were out in the orchards, I just let them be. And they got rainwater, and we got so many tomatoes. So that was a good learning lesson for me, just to let it let it be. And I know we've talked already a little bit about the podcast, but tell me about the podcast, how often it happens, and and a little bit of the details on who you like to talk to. Great. And so it's once a week plus an extra two usually a month. So we do about six a month. And I have conversations with rock stars. I've had Jason Mraz on the show and uh, urban farming and gardening rock stars like Elliot Coleman, 
I've had on the show, and I've had Susie and Sam Backyard Gardener. And really what we do is we share people's stories from, oh, my gosh, I don't know if I can grow food to having a nice edible landscape in their yard. And, and it's uh, I always ask them about a failure that they've had so that people can understand that things don't always work. And then I ask them about their successes and um, why they do what they do. That's really the important piece of the podcast for me is discovering those three pieces because it it gives people an opportunity to see that you can fail and have successes and it's okay. Let's hear about one of your failures then. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. The reason I asked this question is in back in 2004, I invested about $80,000 into a new startup that I was doing called Urban Farm Nursery, and we were raising uh, four-inch organic plant starts, and we did them in organic biodegradable pots, and we ended up starting about 60,000 plant starts in the fall of 2003, and, and they were looking great in January of 2004, but they weren't ready to sell yet. And then it rained every weekend in February of 2004 when it was time to start selling them. So we came to the end of March and I had like 40,000 plant starts left that I wasn't able to sell because people weren't buying them. And I ended up giving them all away and losing my, you know, my investment. And in retrospect, what I learned from that was that I probably should have started with 8,000 plant starts, not 50 or 60 like we did. And the other piece was that I learned is I really didn't want to be in that part of the business. So um, it was a hard lesson to learn, but I'm an entrepreneur. I've been self-employed since I was 15. And, and um, yeah, there you have it. And look at you now. You're a big success. Yeah. With a with well, a fantastic podcast for the uh, website urbanfarm.org. What do you hope people get uh, out of all the information that's there? That it's actually easy to grow your own food. That's the takeaway message, and then jump in and learn how to grow your own food. You know, we have eight different courses. You can jump into one of them online, and uh, and we're available to answer questions at at uh, fruit trees plural at urbanfarm.org. Well, Greg, thanks so much for getting up early, coming on the radio show. We've been working on this to make this scheduling right. And uh, I sure appreciate your time. That was great. And oh boy, how many thousands of plants? Uh, Somewhere around 60 or 70,000 plants that we started that, that fateful fall of 2003. Thanks, Greg. And you can find out all the information about Greg Peterson also by going to DougOster.com. I've got links to everything he's doing there. So good stuff in North Carolina. After the break. We're going to talk to Chris Kosen. He's uh, all about native plants. He's got a class he's teaching via Zoom tomorrow night at 7 o'clock that you could check out. All right, Coons Cooking Hour next hour. Best of edition of Dr. Bridget Schufo. Uh, Accurate solutions and two full hours of the big game edition of the Coons Market Black and Gold Sunday show all still to come today with your Pratt Pack right here. Stay with us. KDKA 100.1 FM AM 1020. Good morning. All right, here's what we're going to do to begin the second half hour of the Organic Garden. As we always do, if you are the 10th caller, you are going to win yourself a $25 gift certificate to Janoski's in Clinton 
10th caller, 412-922-1020. Oh, excited to welcome Chris Coson. He is the man behind uh, Guy Escape Ecological Landscapes in the city of Pittsburgh. He is going to be teaching an online class about native plant garden designs tomorrow at 7 p.m. Chris, thanks for getting up early in the morning. How you doing? Hey, no worries. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm doing great. This guy is an amazing gardener. He is an amazing designer. I've seen his work, and he is passionate about plants. How did it get started for you, Chris, this love of plants and garden design? So I think it really started when I was a kid. Um, I had a couple neighbors, a couple friends, and uh, they took me into their gardens. Some of them were like that, like the secret garden. I went behind a space. I grew up in Erie, Pennsylvania. Uh, kind of a space like hidden away by, you know, this chain link fences with the metal weaving. And lo and behold, you go behind there and there's just like erupting with plants. Um, and the woman who took care of this garden was, you know, a somewhat elderly woman. And she guided me back to these tomato patch and I'd never seen tomatoes growing. And she said, oh, well, this is a tomato here. You can take it home. It's it's Tommy tomato. And from then on, my mom, you know, took me under a wing. I was always out gardening with her. Um, and as an adult, it just got into, you know, how the heck do I grow food for myself on a budget in the city of Pittsburgh? We have a lot of land, we have a lot of open spaces, and I've had some luck with some roommates or housing situations where I've kind of always been able to grow food, at least for the past 10 to 15 years. Uh, so tell me about Guy Escape. What are you doing there? So I started Guy Escape uh, last year. Uh, I focus on native plant designs. Um, my website is Giascape, G-A-I-A-S-C-A-P-P-G-H.com. Um, it just routes to my Instagram. I do anything from landscape consultations, landscape designs. I do the installations, and I do maintenance. So one-man business, I kind of do it all. Um, I also do public speaking engagements, like the one tomorrow night through Wild Ones. I just spoke at the Green Tree Garden Club and also be doing the Green Tree Rotary. And I'll also be speaking with Grow Pittsburgh and Phipps. Uh, doing some programming with them. So why side of that? Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I also work with AHN. I was a nurse for 10 years before this, uh, and I work to install healthy food center gardens with them to supplement uh, fresh foods for patients that are identified as uh, being food insecure. And then what do you do in your spare time? <laughs> um, I'm at PASA still <laughs> in the <laughs> eastern part of the state. I'll be heading home back to Pittsburgh later this afternoon. So a lot of conferences and educating myself on best practices, listening to people like you, too. So why natives for you? So for natives, it's a long story, but I'll shorten it up for you. I mean, there's so for the 2100 native species in Pennsylvania and the 1300 non-natives, about 40 percent of our plants that we see in a wild area are really not native to the region. And when you're talking about what is native to the region, you can focus on ecoregions. Um, bigger topic there. Um, thinking about like what is actually native to our area and why natives. When you talk about plant structure and how the insects and the wildlife see it, if you get like a purple cone flower, uh, an orange cone flower from local nursery, and you say, well, what the heck? This orange cornflower is kind of going back to purple. And it's genetic diversity. That's what the plants want to do. And not only that, if you have a double cone flower or something like that, and you're not getting the pollinators or they're not setting up shop and you don't see them often in your yard, those pollinators, which have evolved to kind of access and pollinate uh, those, those flowers and get nectar and pollen from them, can't access them. And if it's a different color, 
uh, insects and pollinators tend to see in ultraviolet. So they even can't even find where to land on these flowers. So there's a huge disconnect in the industry with what is actually going on in the natural environment. So how do you define a native plant? And is there one definition for natives or do different people define a native plant differently? I mean, native plants, this is the problem. I mean, you can identify native plants to a zip code, an absolute street-by-street type thing. You can go by state. You can go by region. Uh, There's all these types of ecoregions, and there can be up to 967 ecological regions as the USDA has kind of like, uh, sorry, the EPA has kind of organized these ecoregions. For me, a native plant is just simply a species that occurred in this region or in our region before colonization of Europeans. So you tell me, like, if I have a native plant, but then someone breeds it, like, say, elderberry or something, and they make it black with pink flowers, that's not still a native, or is it? So those are when you get into one of two lines of thinking. So that's when you're talking about either hybridization, which creates a cultivar, which is a cultivated variety, or sometimes plants will do that on their own. When you're hiking in the woods or walking in a park or a wild area, plants will also kind of cross-pollinate on their own, which is called open-pollinated, and that'll create a naturally occurring cross which can create a native var, which is a native variety. And if you're at a local nursery, you'll see things that say this is a cultivar or this is a native occurring plant or native to this area. I try to go towards the native or uh, native varieties and the native var species because, again, those are the months that are most adapted to the pollinating insects, the birds, and other animal wildlife in the area, as well as those are the ones that are also going to be able to adapt to changing environmental conditions. Like when we have a drought in the summer of Pittsburgh for six weeks, or when we get rainstorm after rainstorm after rainstorm. Talk a little bit about what you're going to be presenting tomorrow night, seven o'clock for wild ones of Western PA. So I'm going to be jamming a whole bunch of information into that hour that I have for the webinar. Um, I'm hopefully going to be, well, I'm going to be covering why native plants are important, really driving that point home. Uh, My recommendations on how to install a native plant perennial bed, which are the same methods I use with my clients, uh, how to get started with layouts and plant communities, and also creating four seasons, uh, and also kind of peppering in there where to source these materials and plants. And again, that's like only an hour long, so I'm going to be available afterwards uh, for some Q&A, or you can reach out to me on my Instagram, G-A-I-A-S-C-A-P-P-G-H, or my email. Can I pick your brain about some favorite native plants? Now, we always know right plant for the right place, but talk about some of your favorites that you like to use in your installs. So I have some really beautiful favorites. I mean, bloodroot is incredible, but unfortunately, you can't find that in the trade. You can't find that at a local nursery. So one that I can find pretty much anywhere now is woodland flocks, uh, flocks of aracata. Uh, it's really easy to find. I think Sherwood Purple is probably the, the biggest variety, which is, tends to be a native or it was naturally occurring in the wild. It's really adaptable. It's a great ground cover, and it's a spring ephemeral. So it just erupts, who knows, at this time of year, probably in uh, late <laughs> March with these beautiful purple flowers. And it, it, it goes for quite a while, unless, as long as we don't have like a you know 90-degree heat wave in March or April, which verdict's out there. And then also tree species, I absolutely love umbrella magnolias, uh, magnolia tripitala or the big leaf magnolia, magnolia macrophylla, um, really huge leaves and 
incredibly large flowers, six to 10 inches across sometimes. And Tree Pittsburgh also carries those. So they do tree giveaways uh, or you can get them as wholesale. What about that, not being able to find some of these native plants that you want? Um, are they becoming more available as more as people get more interested in natives? Don't you think there's a, a great interest in natives right now? Yeah, I, I, that is the problem with the trade. You find things like bloodroot and you want to grow these out in the client space and create all these little, little ecological communities. Um, and a lot of times you have to get them by wholesale or you have to get them online. Izell Natives, I think, is one that is available to the public. But places like North Creek Nursery are really starting to grow out some of these species in mass and are making them more available to the public. Um, and then when you go to local plant nurseries uh, like Ar uh, Arcadia Natives in Washington, PA, there's Bone Setter Nursery, uh, Rust Belt Natives in the city of Pittsburgh. And there's always new people creating these native plant nurseries and really supporting them and telling them what you want to grow. Uh, I think Phytobello, uh, Judith just went from doing landscaping to starting her own uh, native plant nursery because she was a landscaper and couldn't find what she wanted to install things. Um, so supporting your local native plant nurseries or encouraging some of the other ones like Best Feeds to carry more natives uh, is really what we can do to kind of support that industry and demand for more. Tell me a little bit about what you get out of this personally uh, with your, you know, so deeply passionate about plants and natives. So I, I, before I was doing landscaping, I was a nurse for 10 years, and I really loved caring for people. I really loved caring uh, for somebody who was kind of down on their luck or, you know, not in a great situation. And I decided to leave that field and do something different. And, I mean, I think the earth has a lot of things we can be doing to, to, to help her along and to help some of our uh, wildlife and native species kind of keep going long after we're gone. Well, and that gives me great joy to kind of educate people on how to do that. Uh, and to make little changes uh, throughout our area and our region to kind of push that that agenda along. And it's really great to walk away from a space and come back in a year or two and see the different pollinators that are there, the different bird species that return, and see kids get a kick out of it too. And before I let you go, tell people how they can get a hold of you uh, again. Um, so the best thing to get a hold of me are uh, through my Instagram, GaiaScape. P-G-H, G-A-I-A-S-C-A-P-E-P-G-H, uh, or my email, which is just chris at guyescapepgh.com. Uh, I'll also be teaching at Wild Ones tomorrow, so that'd be a great way to uh, get in touch with me as well. All right, Chris, thanks so much for getting up early, coming on the show. I've got all Chris's information also at dougoster.com and how you can sign up for that class. Uh, sounds like good stuff. All right, what we're going to do after the break, if you have a gardening question, we have our lines available. Give us a call, 866-391-1020. And then getting ready for Valentine's Day and meatless meals because Ash Wednesday is this Wednesday, Valentine's Day. And then every Friday throughout the Lenten season, those fabulous Fish Fry Fridays, of course, at Coons Market with those Haddock's Fish Sandwiches. And this week, I'll be a part of the Paul Zeiss Show, broadcasting live from McKnight Road right after local news at 10. It's a Sunday with your Pratt Pack on KDKA. All right, back with Doug. A couple of more minutes. Phones are loaded. Let's go to Kathy in Imperial. Good morning, Kathy. Welcome to KDK. Good morning, guys. Thank you. Um, Doug, I have a question about growing strawberries. Never grew them before. Um, we took a break from our garden the last two years. This year, we're ready to have a huge one. Um, so we want to add strawberries to our to our garden. Okay. Can you tell me the best way to grow them? So first off, there's a couple different types of strawberries. There is the June bearing, 
where you get like a ton of berries in June, and there's Everbearing, which you don't get quite as many, but they continue for a longer time. I would advise you to, to plant both, and uh, that way you'll have a longer harvest. Uh, it's pretty easy to find strawberry plants locally. Uh, you want good compost. The number one thing, well, two things, slugs and uh, critters are the two problems for strawberries. Uh, you know, they get the wet spring and the berries sitting on the wet ground, and then the next day half of it's gone because of a slug. And so when you're when you're planting those, just keep that in mind that you're going to want to maybe have, have them growing on like a nice mulch of straw, something like that, even though that's where the uh, slugs are going to be, but you can control the slugs just, just so you know. And then some kind of way to keep the birds and squirrels and those things off the berries, and you'll be picking lots of berries. When's the best time to plant them? Early in the season, you know, as soon as you can get them, as soon as the soil can be worked. You know, consider like a strawberry is going to be a perennial. It's going to come back year after year for you. So you're going to want that soil to, to be able to, you know, so the plant can persist. The other thing they'll do is like the plant you put in this spring eventually will send out runners. And then those runners will root. And then eventually after three, four years, you remove the mother plant and let the babies take over because they'll be more vigorous. It's not as hard as I'm making it sound. I'm just giving you a couple warnings uh, about that. Should they have their own? Should my strawberries be in their own little area then? Instead probably, of probably because okay. you're there. That's all that's going to be there. You can't really grow anything else with them, and it's okay. going to be kind of your strawberry area. You know. Okay. All right. All right. Thank you. Thank you for your call. All right. You got to do this in 90 seconds. Let's get Pete from Freeport. Hey, Pete, you're on KDKA. We can do it, Pete. Go ahead. Hey, Doug, I built a three foot by 15 foot uh, raised bed. It's 18 inches high. Mm -hmm. I wanted to know what type of medium, topsoil. Nope. Stay away uh, from topsoil. Fill Fill that thing up with compost, not mushroom manure, not topsoil, but good compost. You can get it either by the truckload or by the bag. You know, for that big of a bed, I'd have, you know, a couple yards dumped, you know, three yards dumped, and then fill it up with the good compost, and you'll have an instant garden. And then think of that raised bed as a big container where in the center you'll have the, the biggest things, then Next to it, you're going to have some shorter things. And then, like, your vine crops can be growing outside the edge. And it's kind of like the thriller, filler, and spiller. And that'll do it for that uh, raised bed. That's going to be nice. Now, uh, weekly online classes, Thursday, 5 o'clock. Go to dougoster.com. Remember, organic gardeners, you make our world brighter and safer with each seed you sow and every garden you grow. So do you have a big bucket of French onion dip today? It, that's going to be the thing. French onion dip, and then he makes wings. My buddy makes wings. Just the two of us watch the game, and then we have like little dollar bets back and forth. First down, second, yeah, pass, run, yeah. So it'll be a lot of fun, and I usually win. Do you uh, have a particular chip or any chip will do? With you know, that's up to him. He's he's the food provider, so it's probably going to be Lay's. There you go. He's, ground, he's been in the movie Groundhog Day, and they did those Groundhog Day commercials. Uh, stay with us. <laughs> news next. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. 
Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.